Welcome to More Than 7 Dirty Words, the official FCC podcast. I'm Evan Schwartzstrauber. The FCC has a lot of lawyers, to say the least. In fact, there's a whole department of them called the Office of General Counsel. But within that department, there is one lawyer to rule them all. And he just so happens to be my guest today. So it is my pleasure to welcome the FCC's General Counsel, Tom Johnson. Tom, thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for having me, Evan. I understand this is your first time doing a podcast. It is indeed. It's a pleasure to do it with you. All right. Well, uh, we're going to start out with the most important thing before getting to all that boring stuff. Um, you are a New York area sports fan, as am I. Uh, but in a way, we are both kind of strange because you are a Mets Giants fan. That's right. And I am a Yankees Jets fan. And uh, for those who are unfamiliar, it's usually the opposite. Usually you're a Yankees Giants fan and a Mets Jets fan. But the fun thing is that we, because of this, we have both experienced success in our lifetimes. And we've also experienced just hopelessness and despair. That's right. Whereas so many others only experience one of those emotions or the other. So what is it like uh, being a Mets Giants fan, Tom? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, as you said, I grew up with people telling me that there was something wrong with that combination of affiliations. (laughs) But um, I actually went to school when I was uh, preschool with Lawrence Taylor's son. So that's how that's how that fandom started. And uh, and my dad had Mets tickets uh, growing up. So that just kind of stuck. But my my. My uh, my my dad and my brother are actually Jets fans, so they they share in that part of your misery. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I guess what I like about both the Mets and the Giants is um, you know they're frequent contenders. I mean, I can I can point to uh, f- you know four Super Bowls during my lifetime, four Super Bowl victories, and uh, and five appearances, and then um, you know uh, one on the on the Mets side, and at least a one other uh, appearance. So, uh, so lots of heartache, but lots of good times as well. Yeah. Similarly, I've enjoyed uh, five Yankees world series uh, <laughs> in my time on this earth. And I've enjoyed uh, two AFC championship games where the jets lost and also a butt fumble on Thanksgiving uh, as I was sitting around with my entire family um, and becoming the laughing stock of the country. So that's been good as a jets fan. That's famous. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm um, switching gears. Uh, how did you get to be the top lawyer at the FCC. Uh, it's not the most obvious career path that takes one to this agency, so I always like to start out by asking my guests that question. Yeah, so I had a background in sort of general uh, administrative law and appellate law, sort of the kind of law that um, deals with how federal agencies make rules and then how those rules get challenged in court. I didn't have a specific telecom background, but I got that background both in private practice and then out in Charleston, West Virginia. I went out to to the attorney general's office out there for a year to argue appeals. And a lot of my colleagues in private practice were actually doing that. They were they were spending a, a year or two out in um, the different states to get that kind of experience because a lot of the states are sort of ramping up now, suing the federal government uh, in multi-state litigation or filing amicus briefs. So there are lots of great opportunities out uh, out in the states. And what I found myself was was sort of the right um, the right types of skills that the commission was looking for because one thing that we knew was going to happen in this administration and it's true of every administration is our rules are going to get challenged and ultimately those are going to be decided by generalist judges so they might not be judges with just a pure telecom background and so one of the benefits 
benefits of, of, of my uh, experience coming in was I could sort of look at a lot of these things with a fresh set of eyes and try to figure out how is this going to be attractive to a court? How are we going to get this upheld in court? Gotcha. So that's why we hired you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's the official story. Yeah. Finally, it makes sense. <laughs> this whole time I was wondering. Um, so uh, one thing that kind of sets the Office of General Counsel apart is that you're not making policy. You're not adding regulations or subtracting regulations or changing regulations, those functions are handled by you know, the Media Bureau for media policy and the Wireless Bureau and so on and so on. You're not doing any of that. So to quote my favorite comedy, Office Space, what would you say you do here? <laughs> so um, uh, basically, I would say that uh, you know we're responsible both for consulting the commission on legal issues so we're we're their in-house counsel we help them make the orders the 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 rules as as legally defensible as possible and uh, then we're responsible for defending those rules if they get uh, challenged in court well one of the things that i think is really interesting about the job is that it does to some extent lie at the intersection of law and policy you know uh, sometimes uh, you know the commission will want to do something and You'll find that if you if you do X, it's legally risky. Maybe if you do part of X, it's it's less risky. And so you do have these trade-offs as to what a litigation risk is and how much policy you can get without taking on unnecessary litigation risk. And then another big piece of it is that sometimes you can help craft the policy in such a way so that all of the different stakeholders uh, are are satisfied, they're happy, and that can sort of reduce the chance that you get sued in the first place. Um, so I really like sort of having you know one foot in the legal uh, sphere and then one foot in the policy sphere. And then the office itself has what something like eighty people between seventy and eighty, yeah, between staff and attorneys. Yeah, depending on how you're feeling on a particular day, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and between those eighty people, is it safe to say they that the office's general counsel probably takes a look at basically everything that the FCC does from a policy perspective? We review all of the orders, all of the orders that get voted on in the open meetings, all of the other orders that come through the commission, and really, you know, a lot of the work that the bureaus are doing as well. So, uh, so yeah, so we have a hand in in everything, which is which is great because you're not limited necessarily to a particular subject matter, and you can uh, try to kind of see the forest for the trees. I mean, oftentimes it's helpful to to see how we are. Uh, you know, interpreting, for example, particular authority we have in the wireline space one month and then the wireless space another month. And that's happened. And so having an office like ours where we can sort of uh, collaborate and make sure that we're being consistent, that helps both produce better law and better policy. So obviously having a foot in everything or a toe in everything means you're going to see so many different cases. Some of them are going to be interesting. Some are going to be probably less interesting, and then some might be just downright bizarre. Yeah. Um, and I've had uh, other employees of the FCC come on the show to share some weird stories that they've experienced in their careers here. Are there any cases that have come across your desk, maybe it's an adjudication, maybe it's a litigation, that are just weird, um, that kind of <laughs> stuck in your mind? Yeah, well, I guess I guess one thing is that I hadn't appreciated before this job or my prior job in West Virginia is just some of the challenges that come when an administration changes. So all of a sudden, as a federal government, you find yourself on one side of an issue, and then you might be on the different side of the issue in the same case uh, after there's a change in administration. So we had to think through some of those issues when I came in. Uh, the 2015 litigation that was 
upholding or defending uh, President Obama's uh, and his FCC's net neutrality rules, uh, all of a sudden we had a new rulemaking in the hopper where we ended up repealing those rules. And so there was a motions practice that we needed to do in order to make sure that that litigation was, was stayed and ultimately that we were able to proceed with our rules. And that happens actually uh, quite a bit. And uh, you've recently talked about the interplay between federal, state, and local governments when it comes to telecom regulation. And all three of them play a role, and not just in telecom, but in every area, policy area, basically in government in the United States. And um, how do you see the roles of each of these levels of government? And then I'll ask you how you see those rules evolving as basically technology involves. Well, certainly states and localities have an important role to play in telecom law, and the Communications Act anticipates a role for them to play on on matters of state and local concern. But uh, this is an area where um, what we're essentially regulating for the most part are interstate networks, interstate communications networks. And so this is an issue that uh, Justice Scalia explored a lot actually before he um, became a judge. He was a uh, a, a lawyer advising the White House on communications issues. And he wrote this piece called The Two Faces of Federalism, in which he said, uh, look, conservatives are rightly uh, champions of federalism, sort of state and local control of issues. But there are issues that are of a truly national character where only the federal government can effectively deal with them. And telecommunications is one because a lot of these networks, especially when you get into broadband networks, emerging 5G networks, I mean, these are regional or nationwide networks. And oftentimes when a state or locality tries to impose a particular uh, rule on these networks, it makes it either impossible or extremely costly for them to comply and deploy across multiple jurisdictions. And so this is an area where I think we've been using uh, preemption uh, in, a, in a targeted way to actually uh, further what I would call um, sort of uh, state and local goals, which is actually free up companies to deploy networks so that these communities can thrive without being a necessary, without imposing unnecessary burdens. Is there a particular example from the various different um, policy battles we've had here that kind of illustrates that interplay? Yeah, so I mean, I would point to the net neutrality debate for one. I mean, one of the things that I found really interesting as I was preparing to defend our repeal before the D.C. Circuit was um, the support that we had gotten from small wireless providers, particularly in rural or less prosperous parts of the country, that said that the, uh, the conduct rules that had been imposed on a nationwide level by the prior administration were uh, preventing them from deploying because they couldn't afford to take on the regulatory or litigation risk. It was too costly for them to figure out how to comply. And in many parts of the country, these were the only option uh, for uh, wireless service for consumers. And so this was just an interesting case in which um, you saw um, those rules were uh, hurting local communities. And what, you, what you're seeing today is states trying to reimpose those very same rules. And I think uh, a lesson or a takeaway from this is that um, oftentimes that acts to the detriment of the very consumers that they're trying to serve. So this principle of federalism, as it's called, or um, in Catholic social thought, it's called subsidiarity, this idea that states and localities being closer to the people 
ought to have a say on those issues that uniquely affect their own communities, is that inherently in conflict with the interstate nature of the internet? I mean, does the internet and certain technologies as they advance and we see 5G coming online, does that just basically mean that that principle no longer is valid in telecom or is it you know, just different? I mean, I think the principle is valid, but I think an important part of that principle is you need to look at what is the uh, what is the competent authority in a particular area. It's got to be the lowest level of government that's competently able to deal with an issue. So, for example, you know, we've had infrastructure reform items dealing with siting applications for uh, 5G services, small cell deployments, and what we found is yes, I mean, there is an area for states and localities to play. Uh, they can determine where a particular uh, cell tower or, or small cell is placed, but they can't uh, impose rules that would unnecessarily delay that deployment, that would make it prohibitively expensive, because ultimately these are not local networks, they're regional or national networks. And so we always have to think about that balance. Is this truly an issue that is unique to this locality, or is it something that has these spillover effects, these these externalities um, outside the jurisdiction of the state? And that is where I think we as the, the FCC have the authority to sort of use preemption in a conservative manner to actually unleash uh, private market forces to deploy these networks. It's often said that anything the FCC does of any significance is going to result in a lawsuit. Is that true? Uh, I, I think it's I think it's often true because I do think that you've got um, interests that are often not aligned, and I think it's to some extent inherent in the history of the FCC. I mean, um, in sort of looking at our regulatory history, I mean, the, the same stories seem to come up again and again, where you have uh, incumbent networks or incumbent technologies, and then you've got uh, new networks, the, the next generation technology disruptors. And the problem is, is that oftentimes Congress is very slow to update our authority to accommodate for that, or sometimes our own rules are written in a certain way and need to be amended. And so you constantly have this battle, uh, sort of, uh, you know, opportunities at least for regulatory arbitrage where incumbents are resistant to change and uh, next generation services really want the change and need the change. And so that's where you get the, the conflict a lot of the times. And that's why there has been, a, I think, a lot of litigation over the course of the FCC. Yeah, and in speaking on a previous episode to Dale Hatfield, former uh, chief engineer at the FCC, uh, that old saying, nothing is new, uh, continues to play out even as technology develops and, and changes a lot of the same debates and a lot of the same dynamics in FCC's past uh, still exists today. Um, speaking of battles, what's it like to manage a bunch of lawyers? So I myself am not a lawyer, and uh, I can imagine that might be a little difficult. <laughs> I don't find them to be the most shy people, and I imagine right. uh, you might have some spirited debates about uh, how to proceed on certain things. That definitely happens. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, I'm really blessed by the fact that I do have a lot of opinionated, really intelligent really knowledgeable people on staff, uh, people who both have great legal minds but also have a, a really deep understanding of the technical issues, uh, and even outside of my staff to be able to 
um, draw on the expertise of engineers when we need it, draw on the expertise of economists. Uh, but you're definitely tr you're definitely correct that you know th there are no wilting flowers at the, <laughs> at, at the agency, and so I think that that oftentimes results in better rulemaking and better briefs. Um, and in particular, I'll say where this where this comes up a lot is when we uh, moot uh, do moot courts for oral arguments. Uh, I really think that. That's where a lot of my attorneys on the litigation side really shine by playing devil's advocate, by asking the toughest questions we can expect to get from the other side. That ultimately results in a better argument when we're in court. This FCC was once called by a trade publication, the Twitter Commission. <laughs> um, and usually that focuses on the five commissioners, including the chairman, who are very active on social media maybe a certain policy advisor and podcast yeah. host who also likes to tweet, but it also includes you. Uh, why do you, as general counsel, tweet? So when I got this job, I was actually really impressed by the fact that Chairman Pai seemed so good at both having that depth of policy knowledge, but also translating it through social media, and that he was, he was so social media savvy, because I just think in this day and age, uh, to be an effective public servant, to be in this field, you need to both be able to have that policy knowledge, but also to be able to communicate it effectively over modern forms of communication. So I really, I really took to that as a model. And my understanding is that we do, uh, as a commission, you know, tweet a lot more than other parts of the federal government. And there are some parameters you need to be uh, conscious of when you're doing that. But I think that uh, you know, lawyers are naturally risk averse, but I actually think this is one area where we ought to be less risk averse. I mean, we ought to be getting our message out and we ought to be using social media effectively. So um, I, I've been super happy with the culture here on that, and I've just been trying to join in. On the other hand, the Giants have not had a winning record since you started tweeting, so um, maybe there's something to that. There's probably a correlation there. <laughs> Definitely a causation yeah. as well. Um, any advice for young attorneys interested in telecom, maybe particular advice for those who are really attracted to the idea of working at the Office of General Counsel, and obviously after hearing this episode, basically everyone's going to want to work for you. Right. Um, but if there is particular advice for those folks who want to deal with telecom litigation, adjudication, the issues that your department deals with? Sure. So I'll give some telecom-specific advice, then maybe some more general advice. So, um, you know, we have an attorney's honors program that has been a great launching pad for a lot of the uh, senior people at the commission, our media bureau chief, uh, senior advisor to the chairman, a lot of our alumni uh, came up through the honors program. So it's a two-year program in which you have an opportunity to act as a junior attorney in one of the bureaus. And it's open to third-year law students and um, law clerks. And so that will open up for 2021 in October. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the resumes we get, um, you know, you do see you know, it's, it's helpful to see someone who's taken administrative law, someone who's, uh, although it's not essential, someone who has some um, interest in telecommunications or technology. And there are a lot of internships when you're in law school, both here um, at NTIA, which deals with federal spectrum, at a lot of the trade groups that we work with uh, within the industry. Um, it, you know, in-house like at um, NBC Universal, I've seen a couple of times, and similar media outlets. I mean, there's a lot of different opportunities out there for law students to sort of get their feet wet. Uh, and so I would just encourage people to take advantage of those and to consider the FCC Honors Program. 
Uh, and then the more general thing I was just going to say is, um, you know, lawyers are a risk-averse bunch, and I would just encourage people not to be as afraid to take some risks with their career. I was in private practice for 10 years, and it definitely was a risk for me to say, I'm going to move to Charleston, West Virginia for a year and, um, and just work on appeals out there. I had no prior connection to the state. But it was a great experience. I got to argue seven appeals in a year, and it led to this job. So uh, I think that sometimes you, you do need to follow your heart and your passion and, and look for those um, outside-the-box opportunities. Last question. Should you eat breakfast the morning of an oral argument? <laughs> so um, so February 1st, uh, 2019 was the day of the Mozilla net neutrality repeal oral argument. And uh, it was snowing that morning and or I was allowing a lot of, a, a lot of uh, time for, for me to get to the courthouse. And what I hadn't anticipated, although there were a lot of people arguing, was that this argument would actually last five hours. <laughs> And so I listened uh, to like half of it. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. You can be you can be excused. Uh, hopefully, it was the good half. But um, but at about hour three, we take a short break, and I was about to get up, and it was right after hearing all of the other side's arguments. So I needed to sort of um, strategize about what I was going to say. But then right before they were called back, I realized I'm starving, and I haven't eaten anything. I should have packed a granola bar or something. <laughs> And I turned to my wife, who was behind me, and said, do you have something to eat? And, <laughs> and she just gives me this blank stare. And then all of a sudden, I say, order, order, the <laughs> council. So I was a little lightheaded up there. I made it through OK. But yeah. definitely a lesson for next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, my guest has been Tom Johnson, FCC general counsel and uh, anomalous Mets Giants fan. Uh, Tom, <laughs> thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Evan. Follow me on Twitter at EvanS underscore FCC, and you can follow Tom at... uh, Tom M. Johnson Jr. I think I was the 100th Tom Johnson to sign up. Oh, wow. So unique. Um, (laughs) Find this podcast in the iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Please leave us a review because it will help others find the show. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm